0: hey senda
1: hey phil
0: do you want to talk about splitting up the party
1: oh yeah like the song right like don't you know don't ever split the party the clerics in the back get the fighters hailing hardy. Oh,
0: what about a story game
1: um well i don't know that's a little different i mean there's reasons that you mind and then there's reasons
0: Ah, uh, cue enough. music Welcome to another episode of Pandas Talking Games, the first of 2020. I am your, very disappointed, I do not have a Neural Jack host, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda. And welcome to our first show of uh, 2020. Yeah. So that's a thing. It is, uh, This is the drop date is January 6th. Assuming Senda remembered to schedule it to drop.
1: I'm sure future Senda's got it perfect there handle on that
0: not our beginning of our year this is actually the end of our recording year because we're heading into march um and sometime in march we will reach the monumental 200th episode
1: it's true Which will totally be a
0: clips episode. We're not even going to do an episode. We're just going to put a whole bunch of clips. Actually, we're just going to run outtakes for the 200th episode. No,
1: no. You know what? We've discussed this before. If I put all the outtakes together into a single episode, because we tried to do this for the 100th one, right? Right. It was like 18 hours straight, and we've done 100 more shows.
0: Cut it down to just the funny ones.
1: You're saying this like it's easier to do that than to just record a show. I'm
0: kidding. (laughs) All right. Anyway, welcome to 2020. Um, Hope you had a lovely holiday season and that you are properly recovered physically, emotionally, financially, et cetera. We're going to do what we do normally and um we're back on our normal recording schedule for the foreseeable future until some cons start up so uh we're uh just gonna jump right in sure
1: and before we do we're gonna run some quick ad copy from this week's sponsor the lucky die podcast up above you see blood red clouds boiling across the sky I hear you and I about to go on an adventure. Uh, you know how Emma likes to have me running around worrying about things. <laughs> you see armies at your back, dwarven, elven, human. You see all the races under your command, and you wickedly smile back at yourself. We can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. And you see this light being shattered into seven different pieces.
0: It's not worth the risk. Just say it's part of my inquisitive nature. I have been following you for a very long time
1: you want a countdown three two one now and you feel the ball drop out from beneath you
0: the lucky die podcast is a weekly 5e dungeons and dragons actual play podcast join our adventure every monday wherever you download podcasts by searching for the lucky die And we have a topic for tonight, right? We do indeed.
1: Powell, a member of the Gauntlet community, reached out to us and said, I'd love to hear you talk about splitting this party in story games. Is it good or is it bad? I have friends who hate it and struggle massively with attention span when their character is not in the scene. While I love to have the party split and everyone doing something meaningful while we sometimes meet and act together. Right. So
0: conventional gaming wisdom says never split the party mm-hmm. so don't much do, so that there's no, a song written about it yep. no no don't do it again No, okay. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we actually know that never splitting the party is not exactly true right like splitting the party is not awful
1: yeah so tonight we're going to talk about splitting the party with the focus being on story games but first phil tell us why does that bit of eternal gaming advice exist and what games does it apply to
0: Right. So splitting the party, right? Splitting the party comes from the um, ye old days of role playing.
1: Yes. Um,
0: but to <laughs> define it, right? Splitting the party is when a group of characters, right? Like sometimes, you know, referred to as the party in more classic tabletop role playing games, divide up and progress in the game in parallel and in different spaces, right? So when we say split the party, right, we have like one group and they're, you know, they've gone east down the corridor and they are like, you know, passing the lava jets and we have another group, they've gone west and they have found like a hidden temple and they're like exploring the temple, right? So in linear game time, they're both progressing through linear game time uh, in parallel. Yes. Okay, and they're physically in different spaces right so this is very different than having all the group in one area doing different things in a scene right because that's 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 a very different thing you're just going around the table like what are you doing what are you doing what are you doing right and they could all be doing different things but they're in the same space together right so splitting the party again um divide them up in parallels in in different spaces moving uh in parallel through game time yep okay um, and again, this can be done, I said two, but obviously you could break it up even more, right? You could break it down to individual characters if you wanted to. And I've done that in a game back in the 90s with uh, Amber Diceless. And I can tell you it's miserable mm-hmm. um, to be running a six player game where six players are not together.
1: Where six players are all doing different things. Oh,
0: it's brutal. Oof. We'll talk about it. We'll Oof. talk about why.
1: Oof. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, But the reason why this piece of advice, Never Split the Party, has come up is because when uh, you are divided up, each group has less resources um, and are often missing abilities from what the whole group has, right? Like, I mean, this should make sense, right? This is, you know, if we think of something like a fantasy RPG, like a 5e or a Pathfinder, right, where we have classes and um, niches and abilities and stuff like that, when you split the party, right, you are at a somewhat of a disadvantage, right? So the group that doesn't have the cleric now doesn't have access to healing magics, right? Maybe they have potions or a wand or whatever, but they don't have the cleric. Yeah. The group that lacks the fighter is going to have to have someone else step into that role or they're going to have to really alter their tactics to avoid getting into a straight-up kind of tank fight. Right. Right? So there is like there is a resource and tactical disadvantage in what we would say traditional tabletop role-playing games when you split a party.
1: Right. Um, which I think we can define for this particular instance as being games where encounters are developed for a specific set of people and then you are encountering them with not that full party.
0: Yeah, so if you're like playing a published adventure where the published adventure kind of assumes that the party is going to be together and then your party doesn't do that. Right. You, you run into this problem, right? If you are particularly writing this, if you are writing your own adventure and you're like, cool, I plan on having the party split up. Right. Right, then probably if you kind of knew how they were going to split, you've written the, you know, each part. You
1: can account for it, yeah.
0: Right, but even something like access, like lack of healing magic is just a disadvantage in general.
1: It is, yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. So in addition to the player side, there's also the GMing side of splitting the party, which is that you're basically now as the GM managing multiple sub-tables, right? Like two or more, depending on how far you split up. And you have to run... Both of those subtables and then you also have to keep both sets of people or all the sets of people from getting bored when it's not their turn because they really are removed from that action and they can't really be involved in it.
0: Right. They have no agency um, in, that, in, in that in that in that subsea.
1: Not at all. Right. And, and you have to track the interactions between the two groups, too. Right. So, like, if you do something with group A and it causes a wall to fall in a cave somewhere else, you have to track that, you know, to see if it affects group B. Yeah. And then you also have to manage timing everything so that the two groups um, can integrate when they choose to join up again. So basically you have to, to kind of keep things at least mostly synced in terms of timing and story on, on, with all of the various parties that are out there so that you can bring them back together again in a reasonable and logical fashion. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So when we get to story games, we don't often have, at least to the same degree, the same problem that we have in traditional games with the first part, which is the resource issue, right? Story games tend to have less intricate characters. um, They tend to abstract combat more. And so the niche dependency isn't quite as high. And it becomes really less of an issue um, in, in that part. But... And no matter what game you're playing, traditional indie story, whatever, whatever label you want to put on it, um, when you split the party, you always have to contend with the second part that Senda just talked about, right? Like that is always an issue. Yep. Uh, And that is where we get to Powell's question.
1: Right. Because the question is not really, is it good or bad? Because as most things are in RPGs and life and, you know, just life there are no absolutes on this, right? So rather, we're going to look at tips in story games for what it's like when you're keeping the party together versus lo- what it's like when you split them apart.
0: Yep. So, Senda, um, start us off and let's talk about what to do when you are keeping the party together.
1: Yeah. So basically, we're going to split this out into like things that are positives Things that are potential negatives and then some like ideas about how to deal with those, right? So let's start with when you're all together, the things that you have, the things that you gain from that, right?
0: Right. So when you're together, you don't have like all the extra uh, cognitive load, like all those GMing things. Yes. <laughs> right? Like you don't you're not managing two sub two or more subtables, so you're just managing one table.
1: Yeah. They're all in the same storyline right now. <laughs>
0: it's so you definitely you definitely have that as an advantage and you have all the players accessible in the scene for potential use and interaction yeah right you're you're not like not like waiting for so and so to come back you know from the space station before they can be part of the story or interact like they're there
1: yeah everybody's there so what are some of the things that we sacrifice by keeping everyone all together
0: Right. So one of the things we, spa- we sacrifice is the speed at which we can move through the plot, right? Because if the whole group has to go everywhere together, then you have to play out all the scenes going from place to place as a group, right? So when we talk about games that require a collection of uh, information or clues, if everybody has to go everywhere and you can't split up, then uh, you have to like, you know, basically touch all the spaces, right? Before you get to the before you get to the end. And that can just take a long time. Yep. Um, possibly in game and possibly in real time. Yeah. And then uh, we also sacrifice smaller, more intimate interactions, right? So we can certainly interact with members of the group in the group setting. But certain, especially in story games, certain plot lines, certain content and things like that, characters may only want to convey in private, right, in a more intimate or private setting. And so when we're all together, we don't have that. Yeah. So we wind up losing some of those potential kinds of scenes.
1: Right. So some thoughts on keeping everybody together or or GMing when you have everyone together. We would say scenes should involve as many people in the party as you can make make sense.
0: Yeah. So you want everyone. So if you're keeping everyone together and you have a scene, you want the narrative possibility for everyone to be able to participate in the scene. Yeah. If if they all have to go together, then everybody should have a chance to do something.
1: Right. 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 If they're all going together, it shouldn't be just about the wizard has to do this one thing, but everyone else has to stand there and stare while they do it.
0: Right, right. That's, not, like, that's that's not that's, that's fun. that's
1: not fun <laughs> cool. Right. So when a character is not directly involved in whatever's specifically happening at that moment, you can always ask them what their thoughts or feelings are about what's going on or basically pull them in in other ways, too, right,
0: yeah, I always like that if you just ask them like, hey, the wizard, like the wizard's giving up like a lot of information here. Like, are you comfortable with that? right? Like, like just that those kind of needling leading questions right we've talked about leading questions before but just like needling them like it just gets them thinking like it puts them in character it keeps them in character space
1: right and it may it may the answer might be no they're not comfortable and then they react right and then then stuff happens which is also great drama hooray for drama
0: (laughs) hooray for drama All right. Some scenes are going to naturally focus on one or a few characters. Like that's inevitable. You can't make every scene be about the entire party. But what you do need to do as a GM is that subsequent scenes need to focus on different characters, right? The entire adventure cannot be going scene to scene with the focus on the wizard and the cleric dealing with this thing and the rest of the party there as sidekicks, right? Like it needs to be like, In this scene, the wizard and the cleric are going to do this magical research. In the next scene, the fighter and the thief are kind of the focus as we're stealing this thing, like, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you got to make sure if you're keeping them all together, you're kind of rotating who's the focus in the scene.
1: Can I just point out something that's really funny that just struck me? What's that? We're specifically talking about story games, but all of our examples are, like, really traditional.
0: (laughs) Uh, it's easy to use things like yeah. it's easy to use those examples because like it people can grasp it onto really, it. Really yeah.
1: really easily. But it, it, it there was a certain amount of irony. Yeah. So some more general advice is to keep the scenes productive by knowing what your scene is about, like what are you trying to accomplish with this scene, so that you can start close to that goal and then you can close it when you've achieved it. So like, you know, Get to the monkey, and then unless, you know, if your players are having lots of fun playing, role-playing stuff at the table afterwards, cool, awesome, let it breathe, that's your call. But, you know, end the scene when it still, you know, has good punch and not when it just slowly dies.
0: Yeah, because you're going to have the whole group together. Yeah. And if you don't start to wrap the scene and there because there's a time for... There's a balance here, right? This is not a thing that is easily teachable as much as it's a thing you understand. This is an art. There's a time (laughs) when the chatter at the table is productive and you want to let the scene breathe a little, open it up and let it go. And there's a time where it's not productive. The players are still chattering. And if you don't start capping that scene... Because they're all together and they're all interacting with each other, you'll and they start arguing about like you'll never move who on. stole, yeah. who, you know, who stole the cheese in the last town, like your your game is going <laughs> to grind to a halt. Are
1: you describing my game group? I'm feeling so called out
0: right now. <laughs> right. So the thing is, the thing is to that is like there's an art form for. This interaction is this interaction is productive. It is moving the stor- story in a positive direction. We are more dramatic, whatever. And then there's these players, bless bless their hearts, won't shut up, they, and the story's not character. going anywhere.
1: They're stuck,
0: right? So <laughs> you got to know when to turn it off, right, and when to let it breathe. Yeah, okay. it's an art. Another piece of advice is encourage group decisions and group actions. If you have them all together, they should all be doing stuff together. So if, if somebody is trying to alpha game and is just calling the shots, like as the GM get in there and make them make group decisions. And if your game has group action mechanisms, like the extended trouble in things from the flood and Tales from the loop, I think there's a couple other games that have group actions or. Hydro hackers, actions or whatever. Just gonna say, what's that?
1: Hydro hackers.
0: Hydro hackers. Right. <laughs> Has a group action. Like use those. At, like encourage those actions because they involve the group. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool.
1: Um, cool. And then have each scene contribute more material that helps you get closer to the climax. So more clues and info in a single space, so that there's stuff for everybody to inter- interact with that. Everybody gets to help move that forward and or more things to be done in one space that is still moving that plot forward, too. So if you have a hacker who's going to hack the mainframe, then somebody has to hold off the guards and somebody else has to deal with the fact that the sprinklers are going off or whatever it is, you know.
0: Exactly. Yep. Okay. so when we're talking about splitting up a party, right, like before, we gain a few things.
1: Yeah, so you have more opportunities for one-on-one PC and NPC interactions or even just small group interactions between PCs and NPCs. And you can gather a lot more information and clues simultaneously in game time.
0: Yes, in game time.
1: In game time, yeah. Correct.
0: Uh, And we sacrifice a few things.
1: Yeah, not everyone is involved in each of those sub-scenes. So there are people who are sitting out and um, it can make the game take longer in real time even though you're compressing game time because you are doing more scenes right and you're doing more work as a gm so you're picking up a little bit more cognitive load because you are balancing all of those sub scenes
0: exactly all right so here's a few tips the first one and this is again some of these tips are going to sound familiar because they have a lot to do with scene management which is exactly what we're talking about here the first one um is aggressive spotlight management is going to be the key, right? So if you have multiple groups, as much as possible, you got to keep moving the spotlight. This is what Powell is talking about, about people being bored. People are bored when the spotlight shifts to one sub scene and stays there for a while because no one else can act. Yes, No one else has agency in the scene or anything else. So aggressive spotlight management of moving the spotlight from one subscene to another, to another, to another, and around and around and around keeps that time for people sitting out to be smaller and smaller. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. The only exception to that rule that I will state is if you luck into a table where everyone is so fascinated by the story that is playing out in front of them, that's cool. It's yeah, great. Yeah.
0: If I mean if a scene needs to breathe a little, but even then you can always you can always cliffhanger and switch the spotlight.
1: Oh yeah. If you but and that's a just make sure that, you know, if you see people getting bored, move it around. Um, and then telegraph when you're gonna change the spotlight, right? Because if people know that their turn is coming up, then they will be more likely to be engaged waiting for their turn to come up. So you can say Or at least
0: re-engage. Or right?
1: re-engage when their turn comes up and kind of have a plan and an idea and not be like, oh what? Oh, uh right? So, so you can say to them things like, we're going to see how this interaction between Korn and the Warlord goes, and then we're going to jump over to Bardock out in the Grove, right? And so you've set expectations, which is great. Setting ex- expectations is really
0: good. It's very helpful. Do it. Absolutely. Use the players that are not in the scenes, right? Farm those uh, players who are sidelined for information, ideas, uh, hit them with some leading questions, right? Like, ask them to fill in details, let them play an npc, whatever. Like you can you can just you can pull them in without pulling them in as their characters into those scenes.
1: Right. When time permits, open up scenes and let them explore one-on-one interactions, right? So don't be afraid to switch spotlights, but also just it's that art again, right? It's that art of knowing when other people are all yawning or whatever, um, or doing that body language thing that you're like, oop, everybody else is out of it. But these two are really in it. Find a cut point, whether it's a cliffhanger, or whatever, and then move it on. But, you know, those scenes are one of the joys that you get out of splitting the party when you can get some of the really smaller interactions where there's more intimate moments between characters.
0: Absolutely spreading out information and clues. So now that you have different groups running off to go do different things, if you are playing something like a mystery or investigation, you can put your clues in many different places because the group can split up and cover more ground. So put, go ahead and put a clue out in the graveyard and then put a clue in the library and put a clue over at the museum and then have the group break up into like pairs of two or ones and twos or whatever, and go investigate those things. Right. Because uh, in game time, they're doing all those things in parallel, so they'll actually um, find all their clues faster in game time.
1: Yeah, and then when you need to resync the groups, pick a place that's a little bit further like ahead in time to resume the narrative, so that you don't have to worry about exact timings of people lining up and stuff, right? So this might be like after you visit the crime scene, Andy wraps up her analysis at the lab, and then everybody meets up for dinner. Where are you meeting? Like, what's yeah. your favorite diner or whatever? Um, or you can literally just say to them things like, cool, it's been about three hours and everyone's done. Where are you all together now?
0: Exactly. Right. So you just you, you just set a point a little further ahead so that all lines sync back up.
1: Yep. yep. Even even if somebody's task took a little longer than somebody else's. Exactly. Just right. Make it. Yeah.
0: Make yep. It perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. So the bottom line to this is don't be afraid to split the party in any game. <gasps>
1: <laughs> Sorry, that deserved a gasp, right? So, but hey. understand what you gain and what you lose when you split the party versus keeping them together,
0: right? It, it's a GMing tool, yeah. Right. So there are times when the story demands that a group be split up, and there are times when the when it demands that the group should stay together, and you should just follow that. Like you shouldn't force it. You shouldn't force it in any direction. Follow what the story's telling you.
1: Yeah. So our general advice is that your default. Should probably be to keep everyone together and then split them off sort of as the story demands or as the offbeat, right?
0: Yeah, because if you're mostly together and then on occasion you split up, yeah, that's a different kind of workload than you're all split up and sometimes you're together.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: It's a very different workload for the GM.
1: Yep, 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 yep. yep. Agree, agree, agree.
0: All right, cool. And with that, we're going to join up, you and I, yes. uh, and do the closing of the show. But before we do, Senda's going to tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network.
1: Indeed. On the Cast, several gnomes from Gnome Stew get together and talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and avoid being thrown into the stew.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, Senda. Where can people reach us on the internet?
1: Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us in the Misdirected Mark forums. Wow. Forums. Check us out there. Or you can drop us an email if you prefer panda at misdirectedmark.com. And Phil, once they find us in one of those places, what can they do with that information?
0: please 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 like powell did um send us your topics we love doing these shows about the things that you find um interesting the questions you have and such and uh, we would like to just keep continuing to do that but we can only do that if you send us your topics so please send us your topics uh and uh we will figure out a way to make them into shows
1: it's true
0: If you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, please consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons of the show get access to the bonus outtakes from this show, which there will be some. as well as the Misdirected Mark After Show, you get access to our show notes. Um, probably the biggest draw is you get access to our Slack Room for Life, which is a um, just a great collection of human beings chatting and having a really fun time talking about life and games and stuff like that. I really love our, I really love our community quite a bit. Our, our Slack community is amazing. Um, you can come play Minecraft with us on the Minecraft server. That's a, always a fun time. There are other goodies from time to time that we are able to um, sprinkle about to our patrons. Uh, we also like to do shout outs to our patrons. Um, this week, we're shouting out to Toby Senate, the Baron of Britannia. T. Acoustic, who has played Minecraft um, on the shared server with us, although in, in very many time zones separated. Like <laughs> It took some pretty <laughs> yeah. heroic efforts to,
1: to try and um, catch him.
0: But Teacoustic, an excellent Minecrafter, very, very, uh, very, very good builder. And Jeremy Mayer, thank you all very much and everyone else who uh, continues to support the show. Honestly, it's pretty, it would be pretty hard and too damn near impossible to do this without your support, uh, so we appreciate it greatly. In addition... If you um, are already supporting the Patreon campaign, um, which is awesome, and if you are unable to support the Patreon campaign, which we totally understand, there's another thing you can do that helps people find us, because that's the next thing we really need to do is have people find us. Yes, please. Since we know that once you listen to us, you will like us, we just need more people to find us (laughs) to figure out that they actually like us. Right, like that. And you can help with that. You can. So how can they help?
1: You can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice, because all the algorithms that make podcasts show up when people type in search terms like RPG are based on things like stars and reviews. So we super duper 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 appreciate it when you give us a rating or review like that, because it actually really does help people find our show, which is great.
0: It's super great.
1: It's super great. So, Santa, Yeah.
0: uh, Show me what your plan is for how you're going to split up your party in the next
1: game. (laughs) This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. I mean, okay. can I tell you that part of the reason that I remembered that last time you accidentally had your cursor over the hang up button instead of the record button is because then on the Saturday, I recorded descent into midnight, and I almost did the same thing. I was like, "Wait, yeah, this is the wrong red button!
0: Wrong red button! It's a button. red button." I'm. Uh,
1: I mean, we sang songs about it and stuff. So how could I forget? Bloop.
0: The shiny red button.
1: Wrong red button.
0: <laughs> shiny red button is a Ren and Stimpy reference. So oh, okay. Ren and Stimpy was a That's cartoon different. from the nineties. That's different. I
1: remember Ren and Stimpy. I probably shouldn't have been watching it. No, at your it.
0: age, you probably shouldn't have.
1: It's log, log, something to something. It's big,
0: so it's heavy, it's wood. wood. It's, it's log, log, it's log. It's, it's better than bad, bad it's, it's good. good. <laughs> See? Oh, I watched a lot of Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> I, don't Pee on the Electric Fence and I uh, Powdered watched Toast Man. Ren
1: and Stimpy, but I don't really remember it because I oh. was not very old yet.
0: I, I was in college and that... Um, that Gosh, was, you were in
1: college. That means I was like eight or nine. Uh, you were
0: like ten or eleven. Bloop. I see. Now my Nickelodeon was different from yours because '80s Nickelodeon. Um, one, so '80s Nickelodeon was like dominated by two things. Um, you can't do that on television.
1: Yeah, I remember that one though. That that was something that I also watched a lot of.
0: That that show was brilliant. I loved you can't do it. On, you can't do that on television. Yeah. Um, and um, Double Dare.
1: Double Dare was also awesome. <laughs> oh my God.
0: <laughs> you know, they'd have a thing like they'd have a giant nose full of yes, slime. And, and it was you had like... to
1: like dig for the flag up its nostril. Yeah, yes.
0: exactly.
1: Yes, Double Dare.
0: Double Dare. The best. Anyway. The
1: thing about Double Dare though was like they always just got so gross.
0: Oh, the Double Dare. Which was I th-
1: super enjoyed as a child, even though oh, yeah. I personally was not a gross I guess now I'm not into like gross slimy things. Like I don't like that. But like as a kid, I was always like outside playing with the mud and the
0: hose. Yeah, I mean, Double Dare was Double Dare knew its audience. Oh yeah, Um, it was. They nailed it. They nailed it. It was purposely gross. You know, like it was in a funny way. Everything about it was done in a um, like in a funny way. Like the slime, the boogers, the um, boogers,
1: like the having to dive
0: pudding stomach first into a
1: giant tub of something squishy (laughs) yeah yeah
0: i mean it was great like it was (laughs) it was great it was a time show or it was a time like they were timed contests they were silly they were ridiculous um and pretty much pretty much everything about that show was perfect for um for its target demographic like yes uh, later so so later like when i was in college like we would watch american gladiators because you know I'm old enough that um, we didn't have cable in our dorm.
1: Oh, I didn't um, have a TV. In, I mean, I guess there was cable in my dorm, but like I didn't have anything to watch it on.
0: We had t- we had a TV, like a small, like I think we had like a 17 or 19 inch TV or something. And then um, like one of my roommates brought a TV. I brought a VCR and an NES Right um,
1: from the magic Christmas,
0: from the mag- right, from the magic Christmas, right? That's yes. exactly where it's from. <laughs>
1: yeah, um,
0: and um, and yeah, like we just like we we put together like an entertainment center. Um, but I always had a TV in my dorm, but. Um, it was always broadcast. Like you had to have, you know, rabbit ears and you, you know had to, you know, get it to tune Wiggle in. Wiggle it around and stuff. And then really what we did was the TV was basically just to watch, um, um, videotapes, right? right? Like we brought a whole mess of, um, we brought a whole mess of videotapes and like every semester would be like dominated by one or two specific um,
1: movies that everybody yeah, would get like into. Bloop.
0: No, but like one, one year, my junior year, I watched, um, I had, almost no, um, I had almost no finals because yeah. I, my grades were high enough that a couple of my classes, I was exempt out of the final. Right. And a couple of the other, my other classes, like I had to get like a 40 to get an A in the class. Right. So you right? were just like,
1: like, show up, put my name right. on the paper.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't studying terribly hard. Um, but I watched Days of Thunder. Twenty-seven times in one. My God, it's not that good of a movie. Let me tell you. (laughs) But like, I learned like every line from that movie. There was a point in my life where I could quote pretty much the whole movie. And again, not the best use of brain cycles or time. Um,
1: I mean, I did. I used to do the same thing. Like after school every day, I had like a. Yeah, but with
0: good movies.
1: I well, Robin Hood Men in Tights. I mean, uh, I
0: mean, Men in Tights is arguably a better. Is, Men in Tights. I shouldn't say arguably. Men in Tights is a better movie than Days of Thunder.
1: Okay, I mean that's fair. Right. I haven't seen Days of Thunder, so I don't know. So, oh, you me, will one day. It was oh boy, and you're going to quote the whole thing to me as it, as I watch it, right?
0: I'm just going to quote the key parts. To you. Okay,
1: so it was Robin Hood, Men in Tights. It was the Disney animated Robin Hood for a little while. It was um, the Court Jester, and of it was uh, and Return of the Jedi. And I'm trying Uh, to think if any of, like, that was them.
0: What about Disney Musketeers?
1: Oh, that one was amazing, but I didn't own it. If I had owned it, what happened was every time I went to my friend's house who owned it, we always watched it, but I didn't own it. So I watched it a lot, but it wasn't under my control.
0: I love that movie. It's so, so much.
1: good. It's so right. damn good.
0: <laughs> you know, and we even it's watched. It's still
1: it. so good.
0: Right, we watched it like a year or two ago. I know, and it it's lost nothing. nothing.
1: It's still. Right, it was, amazing. Yep. Uh, yeah.
0: I like. I, I like. Uh, yeah. I like the casting of absolutely it's, every character in that it's movie. Just, right, like. Bloop, meow.
1: We need to stop meowing because I just crack up every time.
0: <sighs> Bloop. Hey, Senda.
1: Hey, Phil.
0: Uh, do you want to talk about splitting up the party?
1: Uh, I mean, I don't remember the song. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh, I remember it. I remember it. <laughs> I
0: remember it. Oh. <laughs> uh. Back to the top. Here we go.
1: <laughs> you remember how we were like, maybe we could do just an intentional outtake there. And then we were like, no, we won't. No, no, we'll just don't do worry. It. It'll you be got fine. it. And then I just <laughs> totally fucked it up naturally. Oh, he did the head even.
0: I thought thought we were in a
1: hurry, and then you kept going. No, but people haven't had that
0: in a little while. I thought I'd give them a little taste.
1: The people. The people meaning me.
0: The people. (laughs) There are other people. There are other people who listen.
1: I know, but they can't see you do the Muppet Head. That's just for me. I get the Muppet Head. It's like my special moment. Bloop. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Couldn't cyberpunk that fast, huh? Uh -uh. Uh-uh.
1: This is not my genre of choice.
0: (laughs) And welcome to our You uh, made my
1: eyes get all big.
0: (laughs) Show me what you got. (laughs) Show me what you you got. got. Show me what what you got. Show me what you got. (laughs) And with that, want to say goodbye? (laughs) Goodbye. Bye, Bye, everybody. Stop.